Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. And this episode features singer and saxophonist Laura Logic, and it's a wild story. It actually begins with her mother's escape from her rural Finnish farm upbringing. It shaped how she raised Laura, but it was that farm where Laura felt most happy when she would go back and visit as a child. She talks about going through several instruments before she fell in love with the saxophone. And then there's her creepy sax teacher who made her feel really uncomfortable, but pushed her into busking and improvising. She joined X-Ray Specs, but was canned before the first album was even recorded. She released the first Essential Logic single, and that is quite a story in itself. After living the rock and roll lifestyle, having an epileptic fit, and having an out-of-body experience, she left music completely. Well, not exactly. She did perform with the band Juggernaut after becoming a Hare Krishna. Her return to music has been one of reformation, initially with X-Ray Specs, and then Essential Logic. She's released a box set of everything she's ever done. You can't get more comprehensive than that. She's also released a wonderful new Essential Logic album called Land of Kali. Follow her at Essential Logic Official and at Laura.Logic on Instagram. Check out the link tree for ways to pick up the box set and the new album, Land of Kali. Follow us at Performance ANX on social media. We accept coffee donations at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety or buy merch at performanceanx.threadless.com. Now prepare to be amazed by the wild story of Laura Logic on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Okay, I guess let's let's try this. Yeah, I don't know why this has to be such a big mountain, but <laughs> Okay. Hello, this is <laughs> Oh God, sorry. Is the button on? Oh, okay, right. Hello, this is Laura Logic here. You're listening to Performance Anxiety Podcast. Check out my new album, Land of Cully. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, I need to say the new Essential Logic album. Okay, I'll go again. Okay. Uh, right. Hello, this is Laura Logic here. You're listening to Performance Anxiety Podcast. Check out the new Essential Logic album, Land of Cully, and my new five album, Logically Yours box set bundle, which also includes the new Prayer for Peace seven inch single, available from cargorecords.co.uk. Do I need to do it again because of that? Okay, so I'll just go. Available from cargorecords.co.uk or you can order these wonderful items, the box set and the new Land of Kali album from my link tree in bio. You can find this bio on Laura.Logic Instagram or Essential Laura Logic on Facebook. Hope you enjoy our wonderful conversation. <laughs> Okay, I'm just I'm just checking. I didn't leave anything out. Um, uh, this is Laura Logic here. Listen, check out your own land account. Um, um, set bundle. Just 
Okay, if you think it's okay. I hope it does sound a bit tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> That's better. That's better. Yeah, I'm I'm fine, thank you. Good. Just uh, a chilled Sunday morning. <laughs> Same here. Sun isn't even up yet over here, so... Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the, the kids are still asleep. Wife is still asleep. So it's a very quiet morning here as well. So, right, right. Yeah, I had a, <laughs> I had a quick look at your Insta. You look like you've got some beautiful, beautiful children there. Oh, thank you so much. They're they're at the point now. They're a handful. I mean, let's see, eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. So they're a, more of a handful than when they were little. I think. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. It's, it, I think they fight more now than when they were, they were they were toddlers. It's just amazing. Oh, wow. I'm presuming they all have their own rooms each. Yes, fortunately they do. But the youngest is a senior in high school, so she'll be heading to college next year. The other two have... Uh, my oldest started college and then took a year off. And then my son decided to take a year off before starting college. So they're all still in the house. <laughs> so it's just it's, it's madness. Fortunately, they all have their own relationships and friends. And also they, they, they cross paths a lot, but it's not constant. I can't imagine. I mean, for me, the worst thing's always been the mess, the messy principle, the messiness. Oh. <laughs> You are so right. It's insane. Yeah. I would almost show you some of the ridiculousness in this house. Although where I'm sitting right now, most of the messiness is mine because it's it's a table with all my podcasting equipment and one, two, three, four stacks of CDs that are probably eight inches, six to eight inches tall each. That oh, but that's legit. Yeah. That's legit messing. <laughs> that's true. That's that's my my obsession. Yeah. So um, I, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I went back and, and was listening to the music and, and researching for you. And man, what a story. So I wanted to thank right off the top uh, Rob Marshall for getting me in touch with Kurt, who got me in touch with you. So I want to thank both of those gentlemen for whatever magic they were able to pull to get us together, because uh, I'm excited to to chat with you today. That's great. Yeah, I don't know Rob Marshall, but Kurt is just a superhuman. Oh, <laughs> man. I'll tell you, if, if you, you should uh, check out Rob's work, his first band that, well, the first band that I know of is Exit Calm. And uh, if you like any of the early Verve stuff, like A Storm in Heaven, or like early 90s uh, psychedelic stuff, uh, right. Exit Calm, right in that alley, but it's a few years later. And then his solo work, he did a, an album called Humanist, and it has a lot of guest stars on it. He wrote all the, the, well, the music, and then he's got like Mark Lanigan on there, John Robb. Wow. Um, who the heck else is it? Dave Gahan. So a ton of people on his uh, solo album and working right. on the second one. So uh, it's, uh, he came on the podcast and we, we just hit it off and uh, we've been chatting ever since. And wow. Yeah. It's been, is he the founder? He's the founder of Humanist then? Yes. 
Yes. Ah, I didn't realise. That's obviously the connection, yeah, because I know that he's friends with Kurt. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the, oh, I didn't realize Kurt had a connection to him. I'm, I never asked how they knew each other. I just know that uh, <laughs> Rob's like, "Hey, I know somebody you should you should uh, I should introduce you to." And I was like, "Anybody you know, man, I'm I'm up for anybody." <laughs> and what's really funny is that it turns out so Kurt was uh, traveling with. Karina round on the Pussifer yeah. tour. Yeah. And yeah. I was at the show in DC. So wow. so Kurt and I were in the same venue and we didn't we didn't know each other yet. Oh, that's so, amazing. <laughs> so that was that was funny. I told him he's like, Oh, I just got back from working with, with uh Karina and I said uh, with Pussifer and I was like, I was at the show in DC. <laughs> so so what I like to do is to f- find out a little bit about how you got to the point in your career where you're at right now. All right, so let's let's jump into this. Um, the first thing I guess I, I would like to know is what what got you excited about music in the first place? Was there a lot of it when you were growing up? Did your parents listen to a lot, or were you the, like the the black sheep who didn't have a whole lot of family into it, and you just found it on your own? Um, both, really. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I guess I was black sheep because. My mum just came from, she came from Finland and oh, wow. she escaped Finland because it had very few f- possibilities. She came from a farm, uh, no running water, no electricity, a really beautiful life, simple wow. farm. But her parents preferred her to work on the land and have a, a, a education. And she didn't start school till relatively late in a nearby town so you know you always want what you can't have so she had academic intellectual pursuits with the goal of her life so she figured she'd have to you know broaden her horizons and leave Finland for that so she became an air hostess later on to escape Finland and that life We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as needed basis. I've been using the tincture every day and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen. And it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more, plus an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. Pure Spectrum CBD. Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD. So that's what she wanted for me when she was over here and she'd met my father who was in the army and she wanted that for me because she hadn't had that. That sounds um, like it could be a whole podcast on its own right there. That <laughs> you're story. so enthusiastic. Man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I had fantastic childhood. So I remember when I was five, six, seven, eight, the long summers spent on my grandma's farm there. And for me, it was paradise. Oh, Just wandering really? in the forest. There's more In Finland, there's more lakes and forests than people. And it's, it's normal for everyone <laughs> to own a lake, a massive lake. And oh, they have their wow. be- beautiful log cabin at the side of the lake. And they, you know, it, it was like, um, I remember even then um there were no baths there was no bathrooms the toilets were just (laughs) in a wooden shack and there was three or four of them in a row for all the farm workers and anyone else and you just went in there and whatever dropped went straight onto the fields (laughs) oh my gosh wow so i mean but i thought that was so beautiful when i was growing up and wandering in the forests collecting mushrooms of every conceivable color you could imagine and my grandma had a little book by the front door about the poisonous ones so oh. she said <laughs> <That's good. laughs> don't eat any until you bring them home and then she would decide which ones were edible and which weren't but you know it was so magical as a child just playing with a village neighboring village children and yeah. my cousin who lived with my grandma and so it sounds guess, like straight out of middle earth <laughs> Yeah, a bit like Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and cows. And my grandfather was an alcoholic who would ride around on a horse driven cart. Um, <laughs> and he was pretty crazy. He had a gun and he'd, he often threatened my grandmother with it. Wow. <laughs> they weren't the happiest um, couple. But my grandma kept the show on the road. And Oh, wow. Yeah, it was amazing. 
So um, right back to the music. (laughs) (laughs) So my mom, when she was raising us, she wanted the best academic education for us. She became a teacher, language teacher. And uh, there was really not much time to play for me because I was always having extra tutorials so I could be the best I could be in my class and she wanted to train me up for a scholarship to the best all-girls school in the country and of course I didn't want any of that because I was I was artistic by nature (laughs) and um yeah I just I just tried to escape from it as best I could it was a bit hard when I was young but the one good thing from my eyes was that she always wanted me to have music lessons okay so at school I'd get you know I went through all the instruments starting off with guitar violin piano so boring the way that (laughs) those things are taught to you (laughs) in school so boring just learning by heart to three pieces on your own uh having to learn to read music very uninspiring so i'd give them up very quickly and then one day i got to be about 12 and so what would you like to learn next i'd given up all the other instruments um (laughs) And in the meantime, but in the meantime, my father was always playing jazz saxophone in the house constantly. Um, He wasn't particularly musical. He would have liked to have been, but he wasn't. I know Um, that feeling. That's that's a lot like me. Yeah, and he was too he was too busy with the worries of you know bringing up a family. Yeah. and at the time, actually, I wasn't so interested in all this saxophone in the background, Charlie Parker and all these people. That's, um, a, that's a tough one for kids to get into, to be honest. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, a jazz saxophonist, yeah. I was just discovering Mark Bolan and, oh, yeah. and David Bowie. and But I knew David Bowie played the sax, and so... Then when my mum asked me, I said, um, all right, I'd like to learn the saxophone. And I really didn't think they were going to buy me a saxophone, no way, because it was very expensive and I just didn't think they'd go for it. But I came home one day and there was a saxophone there. Wow. (laughs) A beautiful, beautiful tenor sax. Because my father loved the saxophone so much, he he bought me one. I guess guess it sort of started started from there yeah i was also listening early on to i like the rock and roll saxophone parts you know like in bill haley and the comets and oh yeah all the early rock and roll stuff yeah yeah played a huge part in that yeah yeah i used to just love the simple simple punchy riffs and yeah um, before there were a whole lot of guitar solos sax was the big soloing instrument too yeah yeah, it was. It was. So that that's it. I could spin it out more, but I think that you've got the picture. Right, yeah. So so when did you start playing in, in bands outside of, you know, your les- lessons and all? And uh, how long did the lessons last? Because you said you gave up a lot of things, but, you know, you, you're still obviously still playing saxophone. So did you take lessons for a long time or did you, did you st- just kind of start taking things your own direction? Well, they didn't actually teach saxophone in the school that I was attending. So my mum, she found this really wacky (laughs) Irish chap who had about nine mistresses. (laughs) 
<laughs> in North London. And he lived in a slum and there was like kids on the, on the stairs oh. as he went up to his studio. And it was, it was, I was about, how old was I? 12, maybe 12, 13 at the time. And, um, yeah, so he he was really eccentric. He was quite a good teacher. I had a few lessons from from him, but then he started making advances to me, oh. and I was you know I was so young, I was very young, and then he started showing me photos of all of his mistresses, oh and I just like had this awful sick feeling in my stomach. So I wow. I packed those lessons. In. Yeah, don't blame you. I just thought I was gonna be his next victim. Oh uh, wow. <laughs> he was looking for number so, ten. Oh he was so seedy, you know. Ugh. The place was filthy. It was a filthy house and he was very seedy. But so I had a handful of lessons. He was a good teacher and he got me kick started playing. But he got me kick started busking and improvising, which was nice. Oh wow. Um and I just played but mainly I just played along to records. Just whatever records I had at home. I'd play into a cupboard because it was so loud. Uh, so the neighbours wouldn't complain. I had a little clothes <laughs> cupboard, and I just aimed the bell into a cupboard. Oh um, I had a small bedroom, but then it got really boring at a certain point, and I thought I'd like to play in a band. And I didn't okay. play in any bands before X Ray Specs. X Ray Specs is my first band. Wow! Oh man! So how did you find X Ray Specs then? Well, there was three main music papers at the time. There was Melody Maker, New Musical Express, and Sounds. And there was a few sporadic adverts in the back. I think Melody Maker had the most. Uh, and most of them were looking for musicians with experience. Or uh, There was this one advert which said punks, young punks wanted something like that. And as far as I remember, punks was spelt with an X. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't heard this word punk before, but I thought it sounded interesting, certainly more interesting than the other adverts. So it was probably, um, I think it was the first advert pretty much that I rang up. And then the manager of X-Ray Specs, Balcon Stewart, he answered the phone and he said, well, we're not really looking for a girl and we're not really looking for a saxophonist, but come down anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the one we want at all, but come on down. But come down anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was it. And then I just knocked on that door and um, that was the next chapter. <laughs> Man, that was a whole different time. So how old were you at this time then? I was 15, 15 when I went to that so-called audition, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you started playing with X-Ray Specs. Did you guys uh, play out a lot before the album came out, or, or were you just practicing together and, and working on songs? Yeah, we started gigging quite soon. Um, maybe we had four or five rehearsals, maybe six. Um, wow. And then we started playing. The Roxy was our first gig. Roxy Club. Oh, wow. Is that so the one we, that became the album? Yeah, that oh, became the album. Wow. Yeah, live at the Roxy.
that's really where the punk punk movement, you know, originated and began. It lived at the Roxy for a few months, and a lot of people say it died after that when the Roxy closed down. That yeah. early punk explosion and the the real punk ethos died when <laughs> the Roxy Club closed. A lot of people say that. Wow. Yeah, so it was great. You know, we were playing the same nights as bands like Generation X and The Slits and Jeez. so many... Um, so many of those, you know, the Pistols, the Clash, they were all down there. Those early bands. So what was that like as such a, a young kid being up there playing and, and, and these, like you're saying, you know, the slits, Generation X is big. And I, and I don't know if their impact had been felt at that point. I, I'm not sure exactly what it was like at that point. What, what did you, what were you feeling at that point? Were you, I mean, were you kind of blown away by what was happening or were you just taking it all in stride? Yeah, I think everybody was just it was this it was quite surreal, obviously. The whole the whole thing, the people and the fans and the music. Everything about it was was totally surreal. Everyone just went with the flow, I think. It was very exciting for young people to be involved in that it was a pure unadulterated rebellion yeah in every yeah. every sense every sense of the word and a great sense of freedom you know people often ask about well how did it feel like to be a woman or a certain color when you were making music in those days but yeah. that was really all on the side because it was so revolutionary and so spontaneous, it was like everybody was the same. The audience would be on stage. Wow. For many of the gigs, the audience at the end, they just climb on stage. Oh. And I remember Polly and, we, you know, we had great fun. Some of them had to be escorted off the stage because <laughs> otherwise the band would have been <laughs> squeezed off stage. Oh, wow. Um, but it was an event, you know, it was... <laughs> It was an event and everyone, you know, there was that sense of unity and um, lack of discrimination. So it was, it was pure in a sense. It, yeah. It was pure anarchy. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. well, you said, you know, I mean, it, it had concerned. its dark side as well. Yeah. It was dark, very heavy, dark drugs going around and it had its dark side but I think from an artistic point of view it definitely opened up it opened up the doors no doubt yeah like you're saying you know, people weren't concerned about gender or race it was more the music yeah it was the music and the personality it was yeah. it was people it, it really it was not to do with the externals so how long did you last with X-Ray Specs? Because I think if I remember from what I've read, they let you go before the first album was even, was it even be recorded? Is that how it worked or how it went? Yeah, it was before. I was with X-Ray Specs from about September 76 until summer 77. Okay. And... I mean, I don't want to repeat the same right, story yeah. if you've heard it before. Uh, basically, I was given the boot. I was kicked out because I was a wicked witch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> always. So but how did that 
impact you as as a teenager at that point because when the album came out they were still using your arrangements in the songs yeah it was upsetting it's mainly hurtful just on a personal level yeah the the whole the whole way it happened, you know, I just rang up and they said, when's the next rehearsal? And the man who said, oh, didn't you know we found a new saxophone player? Well, how didn't would I know? know? Yeah. We didn't have smartphones and, you know, how yeah. on earth would I know? And it's just God. very cold way it was done. And then, yeah, just using all the riffs that I'd arranged for the songs on the album, not even getting a credit, any kind of credit on the album, um, certainly no financial remuneration. Right. Um, and yeah, so it was just, it was just the whole mood of it. I was gutted at the time. I just put my sax away and thought, that's it. I'm never making music again and I'll go and do something else. I cried for a couple of days. I can imagine. Cause that's, I was, thinking about this and you've had you know th- this career still but I, was, I, I started thinking that I would I would have just put everything away and not you know I don't know studied history or something I don't know but now you did go and study photography though for a little while was that right after x-ray specs was that before x-ray specs and essential logic or, or between the, the two I should say yeah well I was I was still officially at school's and I used to spend most of my time in the art room. So the one thing that vaguely interested me was going to art school and doing something there. And I had quite a good art portfolio. So somehow or another, I got into <laughs> a um, reputed art school in London. And um, I thought I'd study photography. So that's the main thing I studied. But I was only there for a term because I got approached by Jeff Mann, who coaxed me, who poked me into doing a single on my own. (laughs) We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Okay, so that's how that worked out. And then, uh, but you didn't, you weren't really interested in doing the, the single at the time? No, no. He was waiting outside the art school for me a few times, (laughs) as I recall. And he said, come on, you were the best thing about X-ray specs. And I've got some fantastic studio time for you in a really posh studio. And all you got to do is turn up. And I told him I didn't have any songs. I'd never written a song in my life. I didn't have songs. I didn't have any musicians to play with. It, I really wasn't interested. Right. But he just pursued me. He said, come on, come on. Have you written a song yet? And he'd be there around. And then he said, just go home, go home and write a song. Just go home so and write a song. I did. <laughs> I went home and I wrote a song because by that time I was getting jaded with art school anyway. My the only person I'd see during the day was a tutor who was having a nervous breakdown. And <laughs> it was, it was, it was a crazy scene in the art school. The oh, corridors wow. were deserted and any students that were supposed to be there were all snorting cocaine in the local Soho pub <laughs> at lunchtime. And there was zero activity pretty wow. much going on in the art school. So I thought, well, all right, 
No, this All isn't right, it either. Not working apparently. out here. I'll, yeah. uh, I'll I'll try and write a song, and yeah, I just went home and I wrote Aerosol Burns in about ten minutes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> This is such a cool song, too. Ten minutes, you just go home, write a song. See, to me, that just kind of blows me away because I'm almost 50 and I couldn't just go home and write a song. It's, just, it's a whole talent that I set that I don't have that just fascinates me. Well, I think all you've got to do is click a button. It's like the power switch. And I've never really seen myself as a writer or a composer, it's just I'd, that I've just decided at certain times in my life, I want to create, I want to tap into that energy and you switch the button on and you just make yourself open. And if you allow the space, if you allow the space into your life, I've always seen myself more of a channel, to be honest, than, um, or like, um, what's the word? It's just like, just to be open to receiving ideas and then okay. I, I know giving, your, giving yourself the space for that. And then when you get the ideas, I, you know, just like putting them down. I mean, other people will probably echo the same idea I'm saying here and putting them down and then you just arrange them and that might happen really quickly or it might happen over a period of a few days or a few weeks or months or years. But for me, writing has always been that it hasn't been i'm going to sit down and write a song now it's more like i'll just edit i'll just collect ideas and then i'll put them together under a certain subject under a certain song title which which communicates an idea that i would like to share or express with other people at this time you just kind of well, I guess even now, are you walking around with, with uh, a notepad or a, now your, your notes on your phone to just, <laughs> when it hits you, you can, you're able to write something down? No, I've got the button switched off at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> because to be honest, and that's what I did for, for so many years of my life when I was raising children, I switched it off. I mean, sometimes, you know, ideas obviously come flooding into your mind. And then you have to write them down because it's a shame to waste good inspiration. True. But generally, I find it all-consuming. When the, when the button goes on, I have to be able to deal with it, and I find it all-consuming. So oh, wow. for many years in my life, I switched that button off. So with yeah. the new single, You're the Vocalist, was singing something that you were doing in X-ray specs or before? When, when did that really start to to start for I guess start to start that's a terrible phrase that's very kind of you are you talking about aerosol burns yeah well yeah that and just in general when when did you start singing was that uh, something that you were doing <laughs> well it's very that? kind of you to call it singing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it's so funny because I hear 
in the vocals there and in some of the early stuff, I actually hear some of that in some of my favorite singers like Linda Perry. And I, I wonder if maybe you were, you were an influence on, on her because I know she liked punk and stuff from that era. So I was just kind of wondering if, I guess I, I'd have to have her on the podcast to ask, but I can definitely hear the way you sang on those as an influence in some of my favorite singers later on. Um, oh, okay. Do you know what? I haven't heard Linda Perry. Oh, okay. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> I haven't even heard her. Well, if you remember from the early, mid-90s, the, the band Four Non Blondes, that was her breakthrough, I believe. And then she put out two solo albums, and she does a lot of songwriting and producing. She writes tons of music for artists like Pink and uh, some other big name people who I don't remember at the point at the moment, but uh, I actually love her voice and, and the way she approaches vocals. You know, I can kind of hear, I guess the best way to say, it, since you were before, I can hear you in your vocals in something like Aerosol Burns in some of the stuff that she's done. Okay. I'm definitely going to listen to her and check her out. Yeah. I actually went through a whole period, uh, 10, 15 years, I, I didn't listen to any popular music. Okay. Um, I just switched off from it all. I was, you know, when I was, I spent serious time in India and raising my kids and homeschooling and I just switched off from it. I switched off from, from pop music. That, wow. I, that doesn't sound too weird. No, I mean, it, it, it's funny because it's not the first time I've, uh, I guess, has told me something like that. It's kind of funny how, you know, your priorities change. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, uh, I can understand it. There's, uh, like, when my kids were born, I didn't really listen to a whole lot of music. I couldn't afford to buy new music, first of all. <laughs> so there wasn't, uh, there wasn't that whole opportunity. I was living in a very remote, rural part of the country in southeast Alabama, so I couldn't, there weren't a whole ton of record stores anyway, and yeah. uh, the internet with streaming wasn't really around, so it yeah. was, you know, my my uh, opportunity to listen to new music was a bit limited anyway, and everything, 99% of the radio was country music, which I'm not into, so I, I totally understand what you're saying there. Yeah, I was in a similar situation, yeah, yeah, I was listening more to you know, Indian classical music and ah. and Indian classical instruments, sitars and madonga oh. drums and things like that. But yeah, also I just, I don't know, yeah, in those days I don't think, we didn't feel the need to be bombarding our ears constantly with something. Yeah, I, I, whereas now it's just like, oh, I've got to check this out. I've got to check this out. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so Essential Logic was, I guess, was that kind of short-lived too? Um, so from Aerosol Burns, when I recorded that, Jeff Mann, um, he was really happy with it. I didn't know what to think about it. Right. <laughs> I just didn't know what to think. It was just literally three other musicians that turned up in the studio. <laughs> Two had been fans of X-Ray Specs, who I'd never really met before. Wow. And the first drummer of X-Ray Specs, who got kicked out because his hair was too long. Um, <laughs> and they were just like the first people I could 
think of who might possibly want to turn up in the studio and just run through aerosol burns wow um with me and it was literally first take so really? then jeff Travis had the, sorry jeff mann had this recording and he loved it so he thought well i he had his own record label sales record he thought i need extended distribution for this so he took it to jeff mann oh no jeff travis at um rough trade records and jeff travis went bananas about it so uh, that relationship with rough trade was forged then and i stayed with rough trade as essential logic and laura logic for the uh solo pedigree charm album until about 1982 so it's from 79 till 1982 Okay, so not 82 was interesting because you ended up being in a movie named after one of your songs and your your main character in this movie. How did that whole thing happen? I think the movie and the song was Crystal Gazing. Well, the director of Crystal Gazing, our name has slipped my mind. Isn't that awful? Yeah. <laughs> I'm having a, a senior. I'm having a senior <laughs> moment. Um, I can look it up real quick while we're while we're chatting. Yeah, I I never forget her name, but I've forgotten it now. It's the pressure of podcasting. It's the pressure. That's yeah, right. <laughs> absolutely. I'm so glad this isn't a video. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Sunday morning. Yes. So, <laughs> <clears throat> Sunday morning video. I don't think I could hack that. Uh, Laura Mulvey. That's it. Laura, I should remember because we're both Laura's. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she had a son who was, um, must have been about 10. And they used to walk past the Rough Trade record shop. And there was uh, Essential Logic had a single called Eugene. with a picture of a gorilla on the front of it which i'd taken and he just loved this picture of the gorilla and he said mommy i want that record i love the cover so she bought it for him and she liked the song and then she checked out other essential logic music and and then she approached me she said um i'd love you to write involved with the soundtrack for the movie and of course i'd never made a movie before nothing like that it was quite an experience you know having a 300 pound haircut and having somebody (laughs) spend three hours a day putting makeup on me which is really challenging to sit there in a chair while they put makeup on you so all that and um having nice clothes bought for you and then making the film yeah it was quite quite an experience is that your only uh, film appearance 
Is it that your one IMDb credit? Yeah, I suppose cinematic film appearance. Yeah, I've made two, been involved in a collaboration with Kavi Karanapura on two recent videos, but that's a different category, isn't it? Yeah. Um, song videos for the new album. But that was the first experience as well, which I really enjoyed, really well, enjoyed doing that. I, I haven't seen the movie, but I love that song. So I can I can understand why she uh, she would have approached you because that that's a great song, the Crystal Gazing one. Yes, yes. Oh, I, oh I'm happy you like that. I'm I, glad you like that one. I've really been having a, a lot of fun going back and listening to the, the the earlier stuff. Some of it I wasn't familiar with. I I was familiar with the band X Ray Specs you know, generally, but I had never really dived in depth to it and uh, I'm really happy that I have because it's really fun to listen to. You Are you referring to Beat Rhythm News uh, as well, the yeah. first album? Yes, yeah. well, the, the Live at the Roxy and then the Essential Logic stuff too. It's just, it's really, everything's just, it's so energetic and, and it's a lot of, like I said, it's a, just a lot of fun to listen to. Oh, good. <laughs> so you've done, at this point, an Essential Logic album. The second one kind of became a solo album. music completely what made you just back away um well i never really set out just to make music for the sake of it okay just to be while i was in essential logic um i also moonlighted as someone once described with red crayola playing saxophone and i play a bit sax here and there with other bands so i had those nice experiences of just playing free sax spontaneous sax or session saxophone parts i played with dennis bobbell and the stranglers and the raincoats oh, and, and, and you sang with boy george um yeah, I mean, that that was just a, a fleeting... Yeah, I sang on some TV shows on Bow Down Mister okay. when Boy George was airing that very nice single. I love that song, actually. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that was... Um, that was that. So what I'm saying is I had the experience of playing in different kinds of scenarios and doing different things, but I never set out to make music just for the sake of being a brilliant sax player because I knew I was never going to be Stan Getz or John Coltrane and it didn't really interest me to be technically perfect or to okay. be a technically perfect singer or to be a technically perfect saxophone player. I was always more interested in communicating thoughts and ideas to people and sharing those with okay. an audience okay. or with people. So that was my main motivation. And especially on this last album, Land of Cully, I didn't make it because... I, yeah, I, I didn't make it because at the age of 59, 
<laughs> I wanted it to become all-consuming for the next three years. Right. <laughs> I didn't make it for that reason. Right. I made it because I I wanted to share some ideas with people. Yeah, so you're asking me why I patched it in 1982. Yeah. So I felt like I felt quite a bit down in myself. I was surrounded by... By, I didn't know anyone that didn't take drugs and that sort of bugged me and it bugged me that I was becoming a victim to that okay. a bit too much as well I lived in a squat for a few years and everyone was just out of it the whole time including me stoned the whole time and became a bit paranoid my health was suffering I just felt like you know I'd done it I'd been there, I got the postcard, I'd done touring, I'd done gigs, I've made some albums. And I just thought I, I wanted a change in my personal lifestyle. Okay. And then um, my best friend at school, I saw her one day on Portobello Road when we were filming Crystal Gazing. And she was with the Hare Krishna people and she was jumping up and down and she'd been a hardcore amphetamine user wow. last time I'd seen her on kind of like on death's door oh, and geez. and really in a bad state. And then I saw with Hare Krishna people, jump, you know, just looking like the bee's knees and yeah. she was dressed in a sari and she had she had Ganges clay on her forehead and I thought, wow, she looks happy. But I thought, oh, she's been swallowed up by a cult. Oh, so no. I thought, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I better go and visit her. And the temple was only in Soho Street. So it was near, it was near Notting Hill. Okay. So yeah, I, I, I got back in touch with her and I went to see her. And uh, to be honest, the minute I walked through the door and I was exposed to the whole thing, the, um, the philosophy and the culture and the people. I mean, I just, you know, I just lost my heart to it. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, I want to be like this. I want to be able to get through the day without drugs and feel some connection yeah. with the real me, the real me, and to meet real people who yeah. really aren't concerned who you are externally and just to just to hear, to know. Because when I was younger, when I was about 11, I used to say this prayer every night before going to sleep. And my parents were pretty much atheistic. Okay. But I used to, I don't know why, I used to say this little prayer to God, oh God, if you really do exist, then please always guide me to do the right thing in life. Wow. And I don't know why I said that. You know, I just yeah. don't know, but I did. So it was something I, you know, and then through my teens, I kind of buried any kind of spirituality. But okay. towards the end of the Essential Logic performing days, I thought, wouldn't it be nice to go on stage and perform and really give yourself to an audience and con connect with an audience, you know, without being inebriated? Yeah. And I just, I, I don't know, I, I just, it just picked up again when I walked through that temple room when i went into that temple room i just thought this is it how old were you <laughs> and, at the time? um how old was i i was um i must have been that first time about 20 actually wow. i was in the middle of recording pedigree charm also at that time okay and i had to finish it and another very significant thing that happened was 
we were in some Rasta's house in Brixton. We were our recording studio was underground. It was we were sharing um, a recording space with this heat. Okay. And we just go to different Rasta's houses and have a smoke. And some very strong stuff was passed around and my body began to shake really badly. And next thing I knew, I was propelling across the floor and I'd collapsed in a heap. And I was having a serious epileptic fit, which I hadn't, I hadn't suffered from epilepsy before that. Oh my God. It was really heavy. And I thought that was it. I thought, it was over. Um, they carried me upstairs on this. It was in another squat. It was on a very basic wooden bed. And they just left me there. They left me up there. Oh, my gosh. There was like two or three, two rasters and someone else. Yeah, they just left me there. And I was shaking. And then what I did was I actually left my body uh, I rose above my body and I was looking down at this shaking body, but I'd already started visiting the Soho Street Temple about once a week and immersing myself in ideas of karma and reincarnation. Mm -hmm. And when this happened to me, it totally figured that, no, I'm not the body because I've just risen above my body and I'm looking down. Right. And I had strong faith in Krishna because I thought if there is a God, He's going to be really beautiful and why not? God can play the flute and God's special. So I was really, really very much convinced that if there was a God, his name was Krishna. So I started praying to Krishna and um, I said, please um, put me back in my body. And if you do... I'll clean my act up. Wow. So that, that was, yeah, so that happened. That's um, amazing. Yeah, it was. It was amazing. It was. And that really changed my life, that one experience. You know, other people have similar, similar histories, experiences of how life changes for them or life changed for them after they have an out of body experience. Oh, yeah, for sure. At this point, so that album comes out and you, you're you spending more time in the, the temples. Is there a time where you just decide to just stop music and, and dedicate yourself to the religious side of you? Yeah, well, I finished, I finished the album, Pedigree Charm album, and then I decided after that out-of-body experience that I was I was going to I wanted to move in with the Krishna people the community mm-hmm. because um not far from the squat where I lived George Harrison it, there's a temple there it's still there it's called Bhattapadanta Manor right. and it had been donated by George Harrison of the Beatles and it was a little out of London it was you know a little rural and you could just go and stay there and spend time there. So that's what I did. And I just ended up staying there. And at Soho Street, I lived there for two or three months. And another rural temple retreat in Worcestershire. So I spent, yeah, two and a half, three years just living in temple. And that's um, when Polly Polly moved in as well. Oh, okay, from FA Specs. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah strangely enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. So were you not playing at all at this point, or were you just playing to keep your, your uh, chops up, or, or did you just stop? Um, well, I was quite busy just doing other things like getting up early and chanting and singing and just doing simple things like maybe helping out with the cows and okay. cleaning and cooking, just enjoying being a simple, normal human being in a community. And yeah, just, I mean, most people didn't even know that I had been or that I was somebody called Laura Logic. And yeah. it was just re really nice to switch off from all of that. But then Polly, unbeknown to me, Polly had also started visiting Soho Street Temple. And I hadn't spoken to her since she'd kicked me out of the band. Wow. So to find out that she was also visiting was a bit of a... <laughs> bit of a mental nightmare. I can imagine. Oh, wow. I, she was the last person that I wanted to see, yet alone speak to, yet alone have a bit of peace and love with. <laughs> oh, yeah, that must have been quite a shock. Yeah. Wow. It was. It was because I'd already moved in and I just thought, oh, no, there's not going to be any escape. There's going to be nowhere to hide. Oh, but it, it ended up working out. I mean, X-Ray Specs reformed in 95. Uh, yeah, that was quite a bit later. I mean, as it turned out, obviously, she had changed. Yeah. <laughs> she had. She had. <laughs> mellowed out a lot in many ways and she she she'd moved on from that space although unfortunately she was always plagued with her bipolar condition so yeah. it was hard to maintain a steady relationship with her we had some kind of relationship from the time that she moved into the temple and the time that she we spent living there together and also we formed the band together while living in the temple briefly which was called juggernaut and we did one gig at glastonbury that's amazing one summer one gig and it's glastonbury Obviously, it wasn't on the main stage. <laughs> Still. There are other stages. There are other <laughs> stages. Um, but we just sang uh, new, new sort of new songs that we'd written while living in the temple. And one of those songs was Prayer for Peace, which um, oh, wow. is the last single that has been released, that, that I released just recently on my own record label, um, just in November, the last oh, single. We wrote okay. that song together at that time. Wow. Uh, rather, she wrote it. She wrote the lyrics and I helped her arrange it. But I did, Essential Logic has done a new take on that, yeah, which is a new single with a fabulous video, I have to say. Yes. Directed by Kavi, Kavi Coronapura. So 
So we did, yeah. We did do some music okay, while so, living together so in the temple. One of the things I've noticed in, in looking at the Logically Yours box set, there's music in there from 91 to 98, and X-Ray Specs reforms right in the middle of that, which it's an interesting lineup because... Of, uh, for me, because not only you, but also Crispin Mills from Cooler Shaker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was so magical. The musicians that played on that album, Conscious Consumer, uh, Polly just rang me up one day and she said um, she was living outside then. She had a, yeah, she had a small space, a little flat. She was living outside the temple and she said, would you like to come and play sax on a new X-ray Specs album? Just sort of out of the blue. And she said, just come and stay with me for a week and wow. we'll do the album. And I'd never heard I'd never heard any of the, the songs before. So I had a young child at the time, but I just thought, oh, I'd love to. You know, who could resist a new X-ray Specs album? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but it was so wonderful. Crispian, he his guitar is so brilliant oh, on no. that album. It's so it's just perfect, perfect for those songs. Yeah. And um, it was the first time I actually met Crispian when he was just a young boy. Oh, really? Uh, because I used to have a friendship with Hayley Mills. She was she used to visit the Krishna Temple quite oh. often. Hayley Mills, you know, because his mum, yeah. that's the Hayley Mills, the famous actress. Right, yeah, yeah. And I met her at the Hare Krishna Temple because she used to visit George Harrison's Manor Temple. Oh, and I met her there. And then she invited us to her house. And I just remember Crispian when he was... Uh, a little boy, <laughs> and then amazing. suddenly, I was, suddenly he was there, and we were making um, an X-ray Specs album together. So that was really nice. goes back up and he's this incredible guitarist it's just he is. he's so talented yeah he is so he is there's that box set that came out that logically yours box set and it's got music from 90, 91 to 98 so were you just occasionally recording stuff because there's tracks on there that are amazing that i love absolutely love under the great city Well, I think that's in my top three favorite songs. Oh, awesome. Out of the whole lot. It's amazing you should like that. I love it too. That I really it, love it. I think uh, especially on that disc of songs, I, that is my favorite track on that whole thing. I, I absolutely love that song. So That's on the No More Fiction 
Yeah, the No More Fiction album. I think that's the fourth one okay. in the box set. So yeah, that was... Were you just sporadically writing and recording at this time? Or were you, were you trying to get some projects going? Yeah, it was... Uh, well, what happened after I moved out of the temple, I spent three, three and a half years living in temples and moved out of the community. And somehow or another... I got this um, four-track cassette recorder, a little Tuscam cassette recorder, and I thought, well, I want to carry on now. You know, I was feeling the bug, and I just thought I want to make some music, and I got this, and I thought, let me try doing it all by myself without the aid of a safety net. (laughs) So I got this little four-track cassette recorder and a keyboard and a Shure microphone, and I think I got an Atari computer. I had to do that to connect everything together. Oh, man. Um, and I just taught myself how to make a song. And I just, wow. you know, I just faked it. Fake uh, it. That's... I just faked it. And I just um, put these ideas down. And I never imagined uh, with Marika, with Essential Logic, those few songs that I did in the beginning then, I never imagined that they would actually going to be, they would manifest on a piece of vinyl. Right. Um, I just made them and then I did something else. I had, you know, wow. it's like I had a child and then yes. I did a few more songs. Right. And when I felt the bug again, I, you know, somehow the universe, Wrote Krishna, song, they just, whenever baby. I felt the bug, there was, there was some amazing musician to out with. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Over the past couple of years, you've had some, you know, you've had the Logically Years box set. You've also had uh, the Kill Rockstars release for Fanfare in the Garden. That's a bunch of recent retrospectives. So you've been pretty busy over the past couple of years. Did you have to do a lot of the legwork to get everything together for these compilations or were the, were the labels... Did they have it and just want your uh, some new tracks? How how did these come together? And I'm always fascinated mm, to find out how yeah, how where yeah, all was, these songs are living when you know if when the artist is is isn't exactly active. Yeah, well, luckily most of the songs were living with Kill Rock Stars because before I went to India in about 2000, Kill Rock Stars approached me and basically said, my music button was off. It was severely off at that time. And they approached me. I'd even sold my saxophone at that point. Oh, wow. um, For a ticket to India because I wanted to go and spend time in India. And I had two kids. I liked the idea of bringing them up over there rather than here. I really wanted them to experience have a different early experience in their lives so I sold my saxophone to help pay for air tickets to India and just before I went yeah Kill Rock Stars approached me and said we'd like to put do a compilation with everything you've got and I think if I'd thought about it too much at the time I might have said no, I'm not going to give you everything I've got. <laughs> but I really didn't care at the time. So I said, yes, you can have everything I've got. And I remember it's quite complicated. Yeah, I had to go and get, oh, I had to go and get stuff sorted and digitalized. And It sounds to me like you're almost 
kind of going back to when you're a kid, going back to uh, simplifying your life, when you're going back to your grandparents on the farm, you know, it was a very simple way of living. And, it, you know, going to India, you sounded like you were trying to simplify your life. And then, yeah, just take everything just because I, I don't need it right now. Yeah, it wasn't important to me. You know, it just wasn't important to me yeah. at the time. Since then, music has become like now is very important to me. You yeah, know, we go through different chapters and we go through different priorities in our lives. But yeah, things just change. But the way that the box set came about was so Kill Rock Stars had everything and they released it and and then. I decided to start recording the new album about three and a half, four years ago, Land of Cully. And somehow or another, at that time, I met Celeste Bell, who was Polystyrene's daughter. And I hadn't been in... The way that happened was because she was making um, the Polystyrene I'm a Cliché biography film about her mother's life. And she contacted me for an interview. And that was that was a catalyst. That was really a catalyst for me getting back into the neurologic side of me, the creative artistic side of me, just doing that one interview for the film was incredibly therapeutic. Oh and it made me realize my, my kids were pretty much grown up by then. And it made me realize I want to do this again. I really want to be creative again and make music again. So Celeste was really the catalyst for that. And then she started to give me some advice. And because it was a whole new world coming back yeah. into the music industry in 2019, <laughs> I, I didn't even know what Instagram was. I barely knew what Facebook was. <laughs> And it's, it was scary. I mean, I, you know, I had enough going on in my life. Right. So, and then um, she said, well, you will need to open up a Facebook account. You will need to go on Instagram. And then my daughter, who was, yeah, I mean, she must have been about 19. She said, I'm going to do this for you. And she just opened up an Instagram account for me. Oh, wow. And that was that. And I went on Instagram and not knowing anything about it. And then there was all these people that replied to me in the first post and said, oh, so happy you're back. And oh you know, I realized that people were still listening to the music, to, to Essential Logic music. And it was, it was a revelation. Uh, no, it was just a oh, revelation that people amazing. still had the records and they were still listening to it. So that was quite a good, head start really i wasn't starting so, from scratch yeah you had a, a almost like a, a built-in audience ready for, for whatever you were yeah. you're about to do and the most shocking thing that was that there was a younger generation that had been influenced and that were listening to it because i just didn't realize i didn't know i wasn't in touch right. with all of that and to come back and find that you know young people knew the names of songs that I'd recorded <laughs> 40 years earlier it still shocks me <laughs> well I've really enjoyed the new album the land of Kali when one of the things I've noticed between that and the uh, songs in the box set from the 91 to 98 is your singing style has changed a lot has your writing the style the process subject matter how much how is that 
it's kind of an open-ended, broad question, but has it changed a lot since the Essentially Logic time in the early 80s to the new album? Kind of a broad the, well, the, question. Well, the, yes. the, press, the process, definitely, because The Land of Cully was largely a lockdown album. Most of it was just created by yours truly alone in her bedroom wow. learning how to use garage band just like I learned how to use the portrait Tascam oh, tape recorder and I, ne- I didn't even have a computer at the beginning of it all but this Mac just came into the house actually it was a birthday present for someone else and I kind of kidnapped it <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's great. And then, you know, and then I made friends with Apple support and yeah. learned how to use GarageBand. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it just happened very kind of, um, yeah, uh, the way it always did happen, just fake it till just, you make it. Yeah, <laughs> Providence. Things, things just... Providence, Providence, yeah. But The Land of Kali, I think I enjoyed making this album, even though it was kind of like, biggest tribulation it was like the agony and the ecstasy of making it because there were so many hurdles and there were so many challenges and not knowing not knowing what was going to happen next with it who was even going to put it out you know how I was going to get from A to Z with it over three and a half years but I, I just felt like you know, there was there's some angels overseeing it, and yeah. that everything happened when it was supposed to happen with it. And meeting Youth Martin at the very beginning of it all, connecting with him, he was like um, a lighthouse, you know, a shining beacon <laughs> on the horizon. I knew at the end of the day, you know, I could take it all to Youth, and that. Youth would make it sparkle. <laughs> so did you know Youth from earlier, or how did you? start working with him because I, I love a lot of the work he's in like I know he he did uh, we mentioned uh, or I mentioned the Verve earlier when we were, we were talking I don't know he worked on the Urban Hymns album and uh, that was really my introduction to to him as a producer and, and, and I've kind of tried to keep an eye on, on some of the things that he's been working on over the years and uh, I just I, I love his work so when, when I found out yeah. that he was working with you I was like oh this is awesome yeah it is awesome I still can't believe that <laughs> <laughs> that, that his guitar parts are on there and his his you know his samples and his production I, I still can't believe it well what happened with that was I heard through the grapevine that he loved the Hare Krishna mantra and he had a great interest in all things esoteric. He'd spent time recording Tibetan monks in India and he'd spent a lot of time in Goa. So I had a feeling we'd connect on that platform because two of the songs on the album have mantra. I just, I just thought I'm just going to message him and I'm, I messaged him one day. He was on tour in America and I said, got some new stuff. We never actually met at the time, even though we're the same age. We're both the same age and we both grew up in the same scene. But as far as I remember, we never actually met. Anyway, he messaged back and he said, yeah, it'd be great. I'd love to, I'd love to hear your new ideas. Wow. And I just went round to his house one morning. Oh, um, I'm just going to use house. With some really rough, rough ideas. 
and we just sat there for six hours and it it was was fabulous and I couldn't believe it when I walked into his house he just had all these old sort of antique paintings of Krishna and Radha and this incredible altar with Buddha and Jesus and prophets and you know mantra signs dangling in every room and (laughs) i just thought well this is perfect you know this is a match a match made in heaven it sounds like it i mean the music the whole album is wonderful like and i I love how it starts with prayer for peace so i I thought that was and, and now knowing a little bit more behind it i think that there's no other way you could have opened that album it's beautiful Thank you. Also, he had produced Polly's last album, um, Generation Indigo. Um, So there was a strong connection, yeah, with with Polly there too. There's so many different styles in this album. I I really had a a great time listening to it. I love the beautiful prayer for peace. It's a, it's, it's just a magical opening for the album, but I love the heavier riff on Sirius. That is, I I really like that too. sent me a message one morning and he just said um he just said he put some really mean guitars in the middle of the night on Sirius. <laughs> mean i like that yeah some really mean guitars so i was very much looking forward to because that needed to be a bit mean that song well it's called serious i mean <laughs> Yeah, well, that song is about the time I left my body when I had that epileptic fit. So the lyrics are about that experience. Wow. So I was happy to have some mean guitars on there. (laughs) The title track is great, Land of Kali, but I think my favorite is Alien Boys. Oh. (laughs) I like that. And the video is good, too. Enjoyed watching the, the uh, but I think that's my favorite track on the album. Oh, 
good. Well, that's very healthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd mentioned that Prayer for Peace started a long time ago, but were most of the songs new or had they been, had you been working on them for a couple of years? I know you said, you know, there's a three year period of working on the album and in the middle of a pandemic and all this other insanity, but was anything older besides Prayer for Peace, was anything older than 2019? Well, the the lyrics, the words had been um, some of those, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they'd been written maybe over a period of ten years. Some of the oh wow the ideas, yeah, definitely. They some of those ideas were from a back burner notebook, and I collaborated with some of the song themes with my husband Yadu over the years, and they were theme. Yeah, the themes that. I won't really wanted to uh, elaborate, elaborate okay. on, but the music was uh, that was all fresh. Oh, okay. Yeah, the music was totally fresh. It was really just some of the concepts and the lyrical themes. To me, that's amazing because I've heard that before with other artists, and it may be guitar riff or lyrics, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I pulled this one out from. I, I recorded something from you know 15 years ago, and I pulled I'm like where? What are you?" How it's just amazing to me that you, somebody would record that, put it away for fifteen years, and then somehow find it fifteen years later or whatever it is. That that kind of blows my mind a, a bit too. That you've got these ideas, you packed them away, and then somehow you're able to find them. Because I know if I put something away, it's it's going to be hard for me to find. I have a hard time finding photos that I'm looking for on my phone that I took a month ago. <laughs> so, oh, I think that's that's much more challenging. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And there's one song actually, um, which I co-wrote fresh uh, with my daughter on called Skyrocket, which is going oh. to be, I think that's going to be the new single that we release from the album. And there's another amazing new video for that. Yeah, that was written with my with my daughter. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah, yeah, called Skyrocket. And th that probably out of all the songs, um, that was the most spontaneous of all. We just sat down and um, she just found one chorus that I had in one of my notebooks. And she liked the chorus and she said, Mom, um, let's write a song together about this. So we sat down together and brainstormed that. That was done in, yeah, 20 minutes, half an hour. So oh, that's probably God. the fastest song, apart from Aerosol Burns, that's probably <laughs> the fastest song that I've ever been I've ever been involved with. Wow. Well, when, it, when everything starts to click, it, it, it works and it comes together quickly. Yeah. So what's in store for 2023 for you? I know you said you've got a, possibly another single coming out. Are, are you having any, do you do any live shows? Are you planning on playing this live at all? Or are you working on any new music? Yeah, we, um, well, last year I spent four or five months um, putting together a new band with the idea of 
live appearances and we just did one concert on December the 1st. Okay. Um, just a small one. It was just a sort of launch event, a box set launch appearance. And that went really well. It was... It was a challenge, really a challenge, as you can imagine, to be playing live after so many years. Yeah. But it, it showed me that people still appreciate, they still appreciate what Essential Logic has to offer. And yeah, I'd like to carry on with that in 2023. It'd be nice to play a few festivals okay. come summer. Go back to Glastonbury. <laughs> yeah i wouldn't mind yeah I wouldn't mind. well i've really loved the album how can people pick up the album how can they hear it themselves uh, and what's the best way to to follow you to get some information new singles if you are out and, and, and about playing how can they find you well yeah if they get if they go to um facebook laura Essential Logic Facebook or Instagram. Everything's always going to pop up on there. Um, and there's a link tree, Laura Logic Instagram. The link tree has everything, access to the YouTube videos and the box set album, which is available from Cargo Records. Okay. Cargo Records. There's also a special purple vinyl violet vinyl edition um on rough trade oh, limited wow. edition where you can get from rough trade records if you just go to my insta yeah all or right. facebook there's uh details about all of that and that's just at laura logic on instagram yeah okay have you got that in front of you the uh, laura logic insta i can i actually i i can pull it up i've got uh, my phone right here let me Get to the I right. think it's just I think it's just Laura Logic. There's an Essential Logic official as well, actually. Essential Logic official and my personal Laura Logic. Okay, it's uh, Laura dot Logic. Correct. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Sunday morning. I know. I know. I always forget dots in those things. That's an underscore. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Look, this has been wonderful. It's just an incredible story. And I'm so glad to have met you and spoken with you. And I'm really glad I've been able to dive into the music. It's, It's just been a great journey. I'm so happy that you like, especially the new album. Oh, I love that it. That's just like, you know, it's just worth it all. Worth it all. Oh, I'm so happy. And I'm, I'm, so hope you, you get some live shows. If you ever come to the U.S. on the East Coast, I'll be there. I'd love to hear this live. That would that would be a, just amazing. Yeah. Okay. I look forward to that. Yeah. So, is, is there anything that I missed that you wanted to discuss, or or any anything that you wanted to get out that uh, I may have missed while we were chatting? Um. I, th- I think it would be nice just to mention um, Kurt Pagan Davis in as much as he was really, because, you know, I'd recorded this Land of Cully album, but I didn't know, I didn't know, Celeste had kind of mumbled, oh, it would be nice to do a box set and re- release everything you've done. But I didn't know who was going to put it out there. And, um, you know, I yeah. approached... I'd approached a few people and a few 
companies. But then Celeste introduced, I'm not quite sure how you'd put this, you know, like into the interview, but basically she'd introduced me to, she said, I've got the man for you, Kurt Pagan Davies. Okay. And, and, um, then he introduced me to Cargo Records, and um, since that meeting, he just, uh, you know, he pulled everything together. He he came up with the idea of releasing everything in one go, <laughs> like everything I'd ever recorded and wow. the new album at the same time. So it was a lot to take on. It him. sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> and for Cargo, and for me, just to have, after not doing anything for 40 years, yeah. no releases, certainly no vinyl releases, to have everything come out last November at the same time, it was quite quite a big thing. Everything coming at once, um, well, just the release and then, you know, the videos and then all the interviews and just having been out of action for so long to have everything explode at once. So I guess that was just um, one point that I'd, I'd quite like to express, but oh, really yeah. that Kurt Pagan Davis was so responsible and I feel so indebted to him for having engineered these releases. That had to be overwhelming for you. I mean, everything coming out all at once after such a gap that I can't even imagine having to piece all that together. So amazing job. And I'm so grateful for, to Kurt for connecting us. So he's been so kind to me and getting everything set, but thank you. I really do appreciate all the time you've spent and just being so open and, and, and willing to, to chat with me. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. To be honest, I haven't done, you know, like I said, because I was out of action for so many years, I haven't done that many podcasts. Yeah. Um, I've got about 50 on a back burner in a list <laughs> waiting to be done. But when, but when Kirby sent me your one and then I listened, I just thought, oh, I'd really like to do this one as a priority. Oh, um, gosh, that's so wonderful. Thank you so much. That means so much. You have no idea. No, really. I, I just like, you're so enthusiastic and you're very genuine, lovely, lovely person. Oh, and um, yeah, I, I just really leapt. I, I really leapt uh, at the opportunity. So thank you so much. The pleasure is all mine. Oh, that, that means the world to me. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.